speaking of the holidays, today I'll be preaching on demons. <laughs> Again. <laughs> it's a perfect little intro to... I, what does the graphic look like for that? I wondered. Um, man, I'm actually really excited about this passage. It's sobering. Um, there's a gravity to it. It's powerful. Uh, but it is what we need to know and understand. We're going through the book of Mark, and uh, we find ourselves in chapter five. And I want to just preface this by saying <clears throat> the Bible is historical fact. There's no other book that documents the breadth and depth of ancient history as well as the Bible. It's held by prominent scholars as accurate and corroborated by thousands of manuscripts that affirm its authenticity. This is the truth of the Bible. I say that because this next story can seem outlandish by one measure, but this is the most reliable, accurate, and thorough account of ancient history that exists today. This isn't mythology. This isn't legends. Uh, this is actually written by God. So it's not just accurate, it's imperative for us to know. It's not just a detailing of facts. It's actually things we need for life and godliness, the word of God. All right, that said, let's jump right in to Mark chapter five, verse one. This is after Jesus calmed the storm. If you listen to last Sunday's message, this powerful display, and they came to the other side of the sea, which was the southern end of the Sea of Galilee, about 13 miles away, not a long journey, to the country of the Gerasenes, the Gentile territory. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him, out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. Okay, stop. <laughs> like, what is that? I mean, how, we can sort of guess what's going on. We've seen this demon thing before, but we keep fleshing it out because we've got to understand what, what is this that we're talking about after all? We sort of just kind of nod at demons or maybe you have no grid for it so you just forget about it. But actually, demons are not a fringe topic. Like, popular culture is full of demon and devil themes, right? Like, everywhere. I mean, if you go through Netflix, it's like one out of five things have to do with demons and devils. And, and, and interestingly, they're, I mean, they're kind of cast as sexy and cool, aren't they? Like, how did we get there? You're going to listen to this story and go, how did we get to sexy and cool out of the devil and, and demons? But I think there is a sense that, that, that this, this devil-demon stuff is all just hocus-pocus, like it's just kind of cultural, cultural artifact. It's, it's fun and interesting, and, and it, it creates cool stories. Um, but that's not true. Uh, another cultural artifact is this line from The Usual Suspects. You might be familiar with The greatest trick the devil ever played is to convince the world he didn't exist. Or that he's some kind of a meme, a TV show idea. Nothing to be taken too seriously, but... But, but actually, that's not even our only problem. There's kind of two sides to this coin. As C.S. Lewis, so Lewis so aptly puts it, I don't know if you've heard the book, The Screwtape Letters. The Screwtape Letters is basically um, a letter that, letters that are written from a demon uncle to his demon nephew. It's a wonderful piece of fiction, but it's so illuminating. And one of the things that he says is that uh, in this book, uh, as, the, as the uncle is writing to the nephew, he says, there are two equal and opposite errors in which humans can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. And the demon uncle is like, either of these will do. 
We love this. Because actually discerning accurately and understanding biblically what's going on here, that's what is actually powerful against the kingdom of darkness. Another important note is that while the Bible has a grid for the demonic, as we've already seen through the book of Mark, I mean, we started right in chapter one, Jesus is casting out demons. Um, it's, not only, it's not the only brokenness that affects man. And I, and I think that's where we can get this, you know, everything's a demon. You know, I stub my toe, get behind me, Satan. It's like, <laughs> we become alert to these things and now we just, we overuse it. And if everything, you know, if you only have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. But we're called to discernment. Why? Because in Matthew chapter four, it talks about Jesus and, and just what he was doing. And it says, so all his, 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 it says, so his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick those afflicted with various diseases and, and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them all. There are different categories. Demon affliction should be distinguished from other kinds of affliction. The Bible recognizes differences between these kinds of bad things that can happen to you. The Bible also says those things can be interrelated, which is complicated especially since we want to simplify everything, right? We'd rather just go, okay, nope, that's it. Or we want to psychologize everything. I mean, since the Enlightenment, when we became smart, everything is psychological. And it denied the existence of the spiritual realm. It said, no, 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 no. Actually, what matter, you know, what, what we can taste, feel, touch, and see, that's what exists, and all of this other stuff is hocus-pocus. We just didn't know before, but now we know we have science, I love science, but actually it does not, cannot calculate the spiritual realm. And so we have to hold these things in tension. I don't know if you've heard of this term biopsychosocial. Uh, sometimes a therapist might use this term. That we, th this is meant to address the whole person, your biology. If you came in here with a broken leg and you're like, can you pray with me? We'd say yes, and we'll get you to a hospital. Because you may have a need that can be dealt with spiritually, but you have a physical need that we also want to see if there is some physical help we can get you. Psychological, we know that there is brokenness. I mean, some people are born with biological illnesses, biological defects. This is a result of the fall. When man sinned and fell, brokenness came into the world and into our bodies. This is a simple thing to understand unless we ignore some of these facts and we start to get overly spiritual. I mean, I, I think we should have a biopsychosocial, spiritual view of the whole person. Because even with our social lives, that's important to understand. What is wrong with a person? There is brokenness. There's brokenness in our mental health, right? While you can be born with a kidney defect or failure or problem, you can be born with mental health issues that are physical, physiological, biological, and we recognize those things. But oftentimes we see something weird and alien and foreign, and we go, cast it out. Maybe it's related to that, but these things are often overlapping. Even in 1 Timothy 3.7, it's actually talking about an elder, but it's a bit of a clue. It says, an elder must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. The social and the spiritual are overlapping here. Oh, wouldn't it be easy if we could just simplify this or call it something psychological? We can't. We have to pay attention. We have to look closely. And I think God wants to equip us here. 
He wants to help us to understand some very simple truths because this is not complicated. We don't have books of spells, right? That's not actually Christianity. We don't have long incantations. We have simple truths that will continue to uncover as we go. Ephesians 4, 26 through 27 says, don't sin by letting anger control you. Goes on to say, anger gives a foothold to the devil. So you can have an emotional response to a situation that then actually invites the devil into your life. Again, let's not over-spiritualize it. Let's not under-spiritualize it. These things can be overlapping and interconnected. So whenever I'm encountering somebody, man, what is going on with this person? There could be some of what we perceive to be the demonic at play. There could be uh, biological, social, psychological issues also at play. It's important for us not to be one-dimensional. All right, last thing I'll say before I continue. What is unclean spirit? What does that even mean? Like, we, we sort of, we know, we're like, uh-huh, yeah, I got, well, let, let's just talk, what is a spirit? Let's look at the definition of a spirit. It's, it's basically a simple essence, devoid of all, or at least all grosser matter. It's not a physical thing. It's a simple essence, and it's possessed of the power of knowing, desiring, deciding, and acting. Isn't that interesting? Well, like we use that word all the time, but what, what does it actually mean, especially when it comes to this spirit? And then, and then what does unclean mean? And unclean can mean a couple of different things. It can mean ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. You're familiar with that out of Leviticus and Numbers and, and, and the books that give the law, but then it also can be unclean in a moral sense, unclean in thought and life. So what it's saying here is that this man had an immoral essence that was participating in what the scene that we're about to see unfold really is. So let's now continue further and see, okay, what now happens with this unclean spirit? Verse three, he lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Well, that's interesting because now it starts to show us the character of the spirit. We know that it's a spirit. We know that it's unclean. And this is the way in which it's unclean. And the spirits exist today just like they did back then. And in fact, the greatest miracle, the the most numerous miracles it seems that Jesus did was to cast out unclean spirits. This isn't just a fringe piece of the ministry. This is really at the very core. We'll see more about that in just a moment. But why is this important to us to know that not only they existed there, we understand what they are from the Bible, but now we carry that into our experience today? Well, it's because we are commissioned in the ministry of Jesus. In the next chapter, chapter six, Travis preaching on this in two weeks, um, as Jesus was training and teaching his disciples, the first time he sends them out, in chapter six, verse seven, it says this, and he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over unclean spirits. It's the first thing it says. So they went out in verse 12 and proclaimed that people should repent and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So we need to take notes. This is our job now. Proclaim, cast out demons, heal. 
If you're here for the first time, welcome. (laughs) This is what we believe. We don't want to believe it in a weird way. I have seen weirdness in this. I have seen so much weirdness in this. And yet, it is very easy to consider that the opposite of abuse of an idea is to just not use the idea, but it's proper use of what we see in the life and ministry of Jesus. So we need to take notes. Isn't it crazy that we should be entrusted with this? All right, let's look a little bit more at the character of the Spirit, because I think we can start to see. This isn't going to be the exhaustive manual for demonology, as it were. That's not really what we're aiming for here. And actually, I've been talking to the elders a bit about, there's a sister church, One Harbor, that's done some workshops on this, and they've really seen some uh, incredible fruit in this casting out demons ministry. So we're talking about what that might look like here at Monument. I'm sorry, we're not gonna give you the full download here today, but I do wanna talk about some indications of what this is telling us because I don't think it's that complicated. We don't have lengthy classes on healing. Somebody says they're sick, we pray for them to be healed. So I do think there are some unique dynamics to this and we'll see in this passage, but I wanna keep this as simple as possible. He lived alone among the tombs. He was drawn to dead people and death. I don't know if it's because I was preaching on this today, but I had the most violent dream last night. It was violent and bloody, and people were dying all over the place. I woke up at 2 a.m., and I couldn't go back to sleep until 4. And my wife tells me I snored for like the next hour and a half. (laughs) I'm sorry, my dear. But, you know, it's just, what is that? Do, Do I believe I'm possessed by a demon? We'll get to that possession language in just a moment. No. Who knows? This stuff is a bit mysterious. However, drawn to death and living in, among d- dead things, a, a death fixation in isolation, well, I just think there's something to notice there. It makes sense because actually the opposite, it's the opposite of Jesus, who in the Bible it says in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, death. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. It just makes sense. This stuff is not actually hard to grasp if you just break it down into its essential parts. There's mystery and we don't have to figure it all out. But we also see that he was isolated. He he had a social problem, that biopsychosocial, he had an isolation problem, but it was connected to this demonization problem that he had. And I use the word demonization and not possession because, well, the Bible doesn't use that word. Sometimes the translations are not helpful. Like the NLT, New Living Translation, which I love, I think it's so helpful, but the heading is Jesus heals a demon-possessed man. It never says that in the actual Greek. And, and I think that can actually uh, mislead us. It can mischaracterize the situation. And so, uh, you know, especially when you use the word possession, there's a debate about whether or not a, a Christian can be possessed. Well, because that word isn't even used, I think we just need to take the conversation out of that realm and understand it a little bit better. It's more accurate to say demonization or oppressed by a demon or someone afflicted by a demon. Here it says he had an unclean spirit. Was he possessed by it? Well, it doesn't say that. And here's why that's important. First, demon possession actually kind of overstates Satan's authority. Like he's overtaken this human being. Like it doesn't, that's not what it says. 
And it's actually not what we believe. It certainly isn't what Jesus then demonstrates. Even people who are demonized are not totally under control of Satan all of the time. So it ends up having kind of a scary effect that is, is over, overstated and probably pleases Satan to talk about it that way. Let's think about these things in, in the right terms. Also, interestingly, he had superhuman strength. Now, by nef- definition, we know that, that a spirit, in this case, is, you know, as it says, is possessed of a power of knowing, desiring, deciding, and acting. So here it is, acting uh, through this guy. We, we see these things at play in these few verses, and we'll see more as we go, but, but this is a characteristic to note as, as we attempt to identify what is going on with people. No one had the strength to subdue him, which is telling, not just of his strength, but also of the way others dealt with him. Like, that was their, that was their approach. Lock this guy up. Put him in chains. He's scary and dangerous, no doubt. But, but to understand how Jesus saw him, well, it was very different. It was with compassion. How are we countercultural in that way? Everybody else is doing this thing, and we're doing that thing, just by the nature of who he is. Last night, we were at Joel and Rachel's wedding. It was so awesome. They're married. We got, we got that done. Um, <laughs> One of the guys who worked at the place, Ben Chenard was standing at the door and this guy walks out the door. He was like, I don't know, taking a smoke break or whatever and he goes, um, I've never seen so many non-drunk people at a wedding before. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? I was just like, yes. Like, it, just, it, it was noticeable to him. It's beautiful. And so this is where everyone else had been treating this man one way and we're going to treat him another way. Certainly dangerous, it would seem. Certainly needing to exercise caution, but man, there's a countercultural opportunity here. And then the other thing is he was given to self-harm. Some speculate this was an attempt to commit suicide. Um, so, so suicidal can absolutely indicate demonic influence. We see later that when Jesus sends his spirit into the herd of pigs, actually they kill themselves. So suicide seems consistent. It is not always going to be one-dimensionally one thing. People can be in depression. They can be struggling chemically. They can you know, be struggling biologically, physiologically. So we don't want to just sort of broad brush this thing. But self-harm, being self-destructive, man, that, let, let our radar kind of catch that and see what's going on. These would seem to be, according to the Bible, some of the indications of demonic influence. Not limited to that, right? There's lots of different, this is not meant to be an exhaustive passage on that. And as we experience more and we see more, the effect and fall of sin and how it's overtaking someone, it's good to start asking those kinds of questions. But of course, as powerful as those things are, and they are powerful, we can't underestimate them, demonic power is dwarfed by the one who holds all the power, Jesus Christ. Now, this story tells you something about demons, but it tells you even more about Jesus and his saving work, and we're gonna get into that in just a moment. But again, I just wanna pause, and as we study these these things, say this isn't deliverance by numbers. Oh, you struggle with self-esteem, you're demonized, you're addicted to alcohol, depressed, come out. You know, it's, it's not, like, there may be that. There may be that. Let's not rule out the possibility that these things are interconnected. They're presenting one way, but they're another. But let's pray for discernment. 
Let's ask God to help us see and understand. Let's jump into verse six. And when he saw Jesus from afar, the man, he ran down and fell before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Jesus was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Well, this is interesting. The demon recognizes Jesus. We've seen this before. Verse chapter one. This tells me that the Spirit of Christ who lives in believers is also recognizable. What's the proof of that? Well, in Acts 19, we actually see that we were, we were having lunch the other day with some of the folks here, and we were talking about this passage. Acts 19, verse 13 through 16. I don't have it up here, but just listen as I read. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, again, demons, normal thing, there were Jewish exorcists, undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, listen closely to this, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize. So there it is. It is recognizable, the person and spirit of Jesus, not just in Jesus, but also in Paul in this case, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, again, supernatural strength, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Such a wild story. <laughs> Jim's just giggling back there. Like, just, you said naked. But it is, it's a ridiculous, <laughs> he's like, how did you just call me out? <laughs> It's a ridiculous story. It's a funny picture, but it's actually, a, a, it's an extraordinary picture. And, and, and again, there's nakedness with the man, right? And we'll see later how we, uh, what, what Jesus does to redeem that situation. And so I, I want us to pay attention to that word, I adjure, because it's the same word that the demon uses with Jesus, doesn't he? I won't go into what the Greek is there, but it's, it's just interesting that some of the same language is being used because the demon tries to manipulate Jesus to get him to do what he wants, right? As he has been doing with the man. I adjure you by God. Can you imagine? The demon is trying to invoke the name of God against Jesus. He's very confused. This is not gonna work. But it's part of the manipulation and, and I think in some of my experiences, the demonic actually presents itself as spiritual, as religious, as Christian even. I adjure you by God and it can start and you can go, okay, well they're saying all the right stuff. But actually the demon seemed to have the freedom to do that, seemed to have the ability to do that. I, I don't know all of what to do with that, but I'm just noticing, like I would with any passage, going line by line, what is going on here? This is so important. Here's something interesting. A commentator named William Lane said this. Very famous commentator wrote an incredible commentary in the book of Mark. He said, the full address, when he says, you know, uh, son of God, what does he say? Jesus, son of the most high God. The full address is not a confession of Jesus' dignity, that might mean deity, but a desperate attempt to gain control over him or to render him harmless. In accordance with the common assumption of, the, of that period, the use of the precise name of an adversary gave one mastery over him. 
This is context. What was the idea in ancient Israel, in, in this case, the Gerasenes? Well, that has something to do with it. I know who you are, and therefore I can control you. Isn't that interesting? We think, oh, he's being so respectful, recognizing his deity. No, he's trying to manipulate him. What we see is Jesus responds and engages the spirit and inquires. Interestingly, the demon doesn't seem to just, you know, uh, you know, kind of, like, Jesus is telling him, Mark says to, to, to us, he writes, that Jesus has been saying, come out, and he doesn't come out. Isn't that interesting? Like, you would just think, okay, like, if he, he has authority, he would just come out. He doesn't come out, and so Jesus now engages him. Um, and so he doesn't just leave upon Jesus telling him to. He was saying, come out of the man, unclean spirit. It's a bit of a battle. But Jesus shift gears, right? Intent on controlling the spirit. Similarly, to gain mastery over them. Who, who are you? Honestly, the response doesn't seem to make any sense, does it? My name is Legion. We are many. No, that's not an answer. That's not a real answer. And so it's trying to be subversive, trying not to be identified, trying to be slippery and confusing and manipulative. Uh, it's simple to see if you just kind of look at it. Okay, this isn't really, you know... Uh, an answer to his question, but this doesn't really seem to matter to Jesus, does it? I don't need to know your name to control you. I have authority over everything. Yeah. And that's why I find it's interesting to try to understand and discern what's going on with a person, but at the same time, we may not be able to know. I think it's important to try to name the struggle that people are, are, are in, Right? What is it that is going on with you? How are you feeling? What is going on as we probe and discern? Oh, you're sad because your mother died. Or there's some pattern of self-harm and what's going on with you? Whether or not we are able to determine and discover that, Jesus has authority over everything anyway. And that's where we can simply, simply just proceed as he does. And so... Jesus is going to do whatever he wants in the situation. Verse 11. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us into the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned into the sea. This is where we see again the devil and demons are bent on destruction. The moment they enter them, they destroy these 2,000 pigs. And I, I read that this may illustrate that the, the will of man may be able to battle the influence of demons better than the pigs. Like if these, these suicidal spirits bent on destruction and death were trying to overtake the man and he was, he was cutting himself, but, but he wasn't killing himself, but here they, they kill the pigs. I don't know, there's theories. Some of the stuff is just a bit mysterious. It's interesting, but, but either way, we see clearly the destructive nature of the demonic. I, I also love this one. I don't know if you know what Jesus does here, but they're like, please don't send us out of the country. And he's like, no problem, I won't. You can stay right here at the bottom of the ocean. Bam, like, you know, he, he, he sort of plays them in a sense because uh, he does what he wants. He controls the atmosphere. He controls everything because it's under his authority. But not quite everything, and we'll get to that in just a moment. 
Verse 14, and we'll finish with the end of the passage. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, closed and in his right mind, and they rejoiced. No, they did not. Once again, he calms the storm, they're terrified. But I just took care of the problem. Here they see this man clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Again, like last week, we saw in the storm, when Jesus took care of the problem, they were not relieved, they were afraid. I'm thinking, thank you, Jesus. That guy was a menace and our hearts ached for him and we're so grateful that you helped us. That is not the response. And this, this helps me to understand that calming storms and casting out demons is unnerving. I mean, it's not unnerving, it's terrifying to the people who experience this. So so here's the thing. We may go about these things as we follow him in our commission, and it may not elicit the desired effect. It's a good warning. If you're doing whatever you're doing to be like a hero in this situation, to gain accolades, check out Jesus. They asked him to leave. That's a sober idea. That's not just like, yeah, like, that's actually a difficult thing. They weren't just afraid. They, They begged him to leave. They were freaked out by this deliverance and they were not likely thrilled that the massive herd of valuable pigs was now laying at the bottom of the sea. Isn't that typical though? We prioritize the money and our livelihood over what God is doing. Even if, and especially if in this case, it means the freedom of a man beyond help. Can you please leave? You're threatening our economy. You're freaking us out. How disruptive are we prepared for Jesus to be in our lives? 2,000 pigs would have threatened livelihood. Surely the deliverance of of this man would be well known given that he was well known. It just makes me wonder, like, how far gone do you think is too far? Maybe this one story about this one person gets so much attention, so many verses, because it's a demonstration. It's proof of even how a suicidal maniac filled with the spirit of evil can be redeemed by Jesus. That is good news. That may be particularly good news for you today because you think you're too far off. Or it may be good news for someone you care about and your thought has been, there's no way. Look at this guy that Jesus rescued. Look at how lost and damaged he was. In some ways, it's, it's the best kind of story for Christmas. <laughs> Can you imagine a better gift than for this man to be delivered from this demonic oppression? I, I know, it is worth celebration. It's his authority, not ours. That's what controls the demon. That's what we have to understand. Oftentimes, we mistake this and go, all right, I'll take your authority, Jesus. And he goes, no, I've been given authority in all the earth, now go. That's simple, but it's confusing. We get confused about it. I've been given all authority, now go. 
And so we do. And I want to say this, practically speaking, as we continue to discern and engage, he sends them out two by two. This is better done in groups. It's better done when people can go together for the sake of safety and also discernment. While one person is thinking, talking, seeing, the other person you know, is sitting and praying and just you know, also got eyes on it. I just find when it comes to helping people, it is better to go in partnership for a variety of different reasons. He sends them two by two. Trav's gonna talk more about that. But also, let's pray for people, simple but discerningly. Simply but discerning. It's not incantations. It's not big, long things that we've gotta recite. Jesus doesn't do that. Aren't you glad? We have to memorize all that stuff in order to do this. We actually can just trust in the authority of Jesus that we go in. The demon says, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you, do not torment me. That's literally the words that the exorcists would use in that time. So it was believed that to know the name of a person or spirit gave you control over them and you would command a spirit by the name of another power. I adjure you. It's like a reverse exorcism. We don't need tricks. We don't need that. One of the interesting questions is, why do the demons want to go into the pigs? Well, the theory kind of see, that seems to make the most sense is, is really that demons abhor a vacuum. Matthew 12, Jesus says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. So one theory is that the demons want to go into the pigs because they abhor a vacuum. They want to inhabit something, and Jesus gave them permissions. They go, the permission, they go into the pigs. And the pigs down, go down to the bank of the water and drowned. They end up in a watered place with no host. Also, they said they didn't want to go out of the region, but the lake likely was at the edge of the territory. So Jesus sends them into the pigs who immediately take them where they don't want to go. That's what he does. This is a, I'm coming for you, Satan. <laughs> you are going to go where you don't want to go. This is his authority being exercised. And Jesus has just proven he can save his followers from the storms of the sea, but then he drives demons into the very same sea. This is interesting. I, 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 I stole this shamelessly from Brian Hart because it was leaping out at me and I was talking to Brian. He preached here about a month ago. And he says, like English, Greek has many words for asking or requesting, right? In this passage, three requests are made of Jesus. But Mark uses the same word for each of those three times in this passage. And the ESV does a good job trying to highlight that for you by using the same word beg, right? Do you remember when it says that? So pay attention to this. The demons begged Jesus to go into the pigs. The farmers begged Jesus to go out of their region. And the delivered man begs Jesus to let him join the disciples, What's crazy is that Jesus says yes to the demons, yes to the farmers, and no to the delivered man. Isn't that interesting? This was, this was leaping out at me too, and I'm like, what is going on there? And I think, and, and Brian talks about this, mercy and judgment do not always look like what you expect them to. The interchange here illustrates something about the judgment of God that is explicitly taught in the Bible. So in Romans, it says that God's judgment is giving us over to the lusts of our hearts. One of the worst things God can do is give you what you crave. Yeah. That's sobering. So the demons want to go into the pigs. Jesus says, as you wish, but the pigs go into the lake. Yeah. Jesus judges them by giving them what they want. 
than the farmers. The headline isn't man rescued, it's business destroyed, and they ask the author of life to go away, and Jesus says, as you wish. To have Jesus turn his back on you and walk away is a judgment you do not want to receive. He judges them by giving them what they want. But to the man he saved, the man says, let me come with you. And Jesus says, no. He says, go home. Why? Those people rejected me. They went into town and told everyone what happened. Actually, he says, but you tell them what really happened. Tell them what the Lord has done. Go and be my witness. Jesus seems to to deny this man, but, but yet he becomes the very first person sent by Jesus to witness about the good news among the Gentiles. He wants to go with Jesus, and Jesus makes him the first missionary and to the very people who rejected him. Can you believe that? Judgment can oftentimes look like mercy, and mercy can look judgmental. When Jesus delivers you from evil, don't expect him to follow your script. His is way better than whatever we had planned. But man, we flirt with evil and whine about suffering, don't we? You and I have to fight evil, flee from evil, resist evil, and then at sometimes embrace suffering. What awaits evil is greater suffering and then judgment. I'm sure in this room we have people in different categories. I suspect we have some that, that are demonized and don't know it. It's real. Let's not pretend that it's not. Those people need deliverance. We actually want to pray for that. We pray with the authority that Jesus gave and we command evil spirits to unbind and release people. I want to just end with this, which is, in a sense, the good and the bad news. <laughs> Some people here are engaging in sin and giving the enemy a foothold. Maybe it's anger, lust, or something else. Do you realize that one of the reasons God doesn't want you to sin is to protect you from evil? We wander into sin and fling the door open on these kinds of things. Jesus says, repent. We, We know only a tiny fraction of really how things work in the spiritual realm. So let's just pay attention to what God has told us to do. We can't figure all that out, but we can receive and accept and obey what he's told us because it's for our protection. God's ways are for our good. Don't give demons a foothold in your life. Confess sin, repent of it, turn from it. And then I suspect we have people here for whom God has done great things right? Like the man, he has freed you. Does anyone know? Have you told anyone? Because actually, he just wanted to be with Jesus, didn't he? Don't we just want to, oh, Lord, I just want to be with you. And he's like, actually, it's good, but go. Go and tell them what the Lord has done. Go tell your friends what the Lord has done. And as you do, fight evil. But make sure that it's, that it's evil that you're fighting. If, if you're, if you're, Man, if you have not put your faith in Jesus, I just want to say this as gently but as clearly as I can. Judgment is coming. It is. It will be the worst thing that can happen. God will totally give you over to what you choose, which is not to be with him. C.S. Lewis says, two kinds of people, those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says, thy will be done. 
You can face judgment on your own terms or you can let Jesus face them for you. This man is in the tombs. Who do you think paid the price for his freedom? There's always a cost. Nothing is ever free. He's a mess, cut up, bloody, crying out among the tombs. But Jesus ends up in his place. A mess, bloody on the cross, crying out, driven to a tomb. If you want to have Jesus stand in your place to be judged for you, put your faith in him today.